Happy Easter, everyone. So great to see you. Uh, my name is Ezra, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, man, it's such a privilege to come uh, and to worship with you on Easter Sunday. As, as Keith mentioned, uh, today is just a, a special and, uh, and, and, and just such an important day. And, um, you know, as I, uh, I, I crossed over the 40-year the threshold this past year, and so so I can no longer claim to be hanging on to any piece of my childhood. It's, it's over, right? That ship has sailed. Um, and, uh, you know, as you, as you get older, there's so many things that you remember with nostalgia from your childhood that seemed so magical. And then when you come to it as an adult, um, it seems to just kind of lose some of that. But, uh, but for me, this whole Easter weekend, it, it, every year, it just has such weight and gravity. Like there's, there's such a a powerful thing about celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. It was the most important and crucial and pivotal moment in, in the history of the universe. <laughs> took place on this day, and we come together to celebrate it. And so all weekend we've been celebrating. As Keith mentioned, we had our Good Friday service. Uh, we came in, we came yesterday and gathered eggs and hung out with the community. And it's just been an incredible weekend of just focusing on what Jesus has done for us. And as we think about the resurrection uh, and the significance of it, there's a piece of it that's connected. We just came out of a series called Parables and Miracles where we were talking about Jesus taught these, uh, these stories called parables, which kind of helped explain the kingdom of God by telling these simple stories, right? And, uh, and so he explained what the kingdom of heaven was like, but then he did these amazing miracles. And the miracles validated what he said, right? So Jesus said, hey, here's, here's what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what God is like. This is how we're supposed to act. And the way that you know that I'm telling the truth is... I'm going to feed 5,000 people with, with some loaves and some fish. I'm going, to, I'm going to walk on water. I'm going to do these amazing things. And the amazing things show that the things that he said were true. And so in many senses, uh, Jesus spoke and he taught. But when he rose from the grave, that put the, the validation seal on his entire life and work of ministry. He said all along, I'm going to raise from the dead. I'm going to die I'm going to be in the ground, but I'm going to rise back up. Uh, the resurrection was proof of the authority that he had. You know, we're in, we're in campaign season, right, with the politics, and, and there's a lot of candidates that will be like, I am going to win this state. I guarantee it. We're going to do it. And what happens when they don't win the state? They drop out of the race, right? <laughs> their credibility is gone. Uh, their, their right to have anything further to say is gone. If they say, hey, I'm going to do this, and they don't follow through on it, it's over. But for Jesus, he said, I'm going to do this, and then he went and did it. And so it was the, the complete validation of everything that he ever spoke and taught in his earthly ministry. But it's, it's far more than that. That's one aspect of it. The piece that I want to grab a hold of today is, as we said in our series, uh, he has risen, right? That's what it's all about. And there's something powerful in the fact that because of what Jesus did, he has risen, and that means that he has risen, and he has risen, and she has risen, and they have risen, that there's a connection between the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of those who follow Jesus, that the two are connected, they're intertwined, they're, they're mixed together. And so what I wanted to look at today is what does it look like to live a resurrected life? What does it mean to live out daily the resurrection? If I claim to be a follower of Jesus and I claim that I have risen from the grave with him, what does that look like in my life, Right? I could get up here and, uh, and give you a, an emotional cheerleader speech about, we got to live resurrected lives, right? But, but if we don't know what that means, then it's just a good catchphrase, right? It might make a good t-shirt or a hashtag, but it's not going to lead to any life change. 
And, and, and that's what we want. As a church, That we, we want to come to the timeless truth of God's worth and apply it to the daily lives that we experience every day. Uh, and so that's what we want to do today. So we're going to look at two things really practically. We're going to look at how does this resurrection happen? If the resurrection of Jesus leads to the resurrection of his followers, how does that happen? And then once we understand how it happens, what does it look like in our everyday life? That's what we're going to look at today. So will you join me in a word of prayer as we prepare uh, to think about this? Father, we come before you. We're excited to come into your presence. We're excited to worship you, to gather in your name. We are excited about Jesus. We're excited about what he has done, that he is alive, that he has risen from the grave. Uh, we want to know what that means, Lord. We want to we apply it deeply to our own hearts, and the only way that we can do that is if you reveal it to us. And so through your word, uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit working in us, I pray that you'll show us in a deeper way what it means to live a resurrected life. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to. I just want to acknowledge that on, on Easter Sunday, I have a, a unique, uh, privileged opportunity that um, to do a couple things. One is, uh, you know, when you watch a movie like Braveheart or uh, or Gladiator. Apparently, they only made good war movies in the '90s because there's, there's not it's like not a good one to come right, right, but. There's always that scene where, where the commander comes up in front of the army and is like, ah, right, everybody gets so excited, but he doesn't say, okay, archers, I want you to line up along this hill 30 meters, right? That's not the time to lay out the specifics of the battle plan, right? That's been done. That's happened. Everybody knows their role. When, when that moment comes, it's a moment of saying like, hey, let's remember why we're here. Let's remember why are we doing this? Why why do we come and gather together on Sunday mornings? Why do we open up God's Word? Why do we pray? Why, what's the purpose behind it all? It's just a moment for us to collectively remember, this is why we do it. It's also an opportunity. I recognize that we have friends and family in visiting um, from, from all over the place, all over the country. I've got to meet many of you this morning. Uh, we've got people, uh, friends from the community here who, who maybe are saying, man, you know, I've been, I've been kicking around. I just feel like something's missing in my life and and, uh, and when I was younger, I used to go to church, and maybe, maybe there's something there. Maybe I'm missing something. And so Easter Sunday is a great Sunday to come out and kind of figure out, like, maybe is this the piece that's missing in my life? And so what I want to do is just to share with you that if you're choosing to decide to accept or reject Christianity, I want you to do it based on what it is, the truth of the gospel, uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, I have a, a family member or a friend that claims to be a Christian, and they're a hypocrite, and so I just can't, you know— or I, I had a really overbearing parent that shoved the Bible down my throat, so I've rejected, rejected that. Like, I, I get that. I understand where you're coming from with that. But if you're going to accept or reject the gospel, uh, seek to do it on its own merits, right? <laughs> um, you know, if you met one person who was an obnoxious Eagles fan, I mean, I know there's not any out there, but let's just imagine. <laughs> if your next-door neighbor was an obnoxious Eagles fan, you shouldn't say, I hate the Eagles because of that guy, Right? It might be true. It might make it, right? But, but you should accept or reject them based on who they are, right? And it's the same way with the gospel. When we come to the gospel, let's, let's seek this morning to understand what is the resurrection really all about and accept it or reject it based on that. So that's our hope and our desire this morning. Will you turn with, in your, with me in your, in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2? Uh, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. This is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible, because I says it, it says in some of the most clear and plain language what the gospel is. It lays it out, 
And in our discovery class, we're doing it on April 23rd, but we look at all of Ephesians chapter 2 at the very beginning of the class, and we say, we summarize it in this way. You were saved to do good works in community. Uh, that's, that's the essence of what the Christian life is meant to look like. You were saved to do good works in community. That's, that's what it's all about. So we're going to look at a piece of that this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1, says this. And you were dead. That's a great way to start a story, right? Usually the death is at the end, right? But, but you were dead, okay? Sounds like the end of the story, but for the Christian life, that's the beginning of the story. Death is the beginning. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Such an awesome passage. And as we come to this, as we think about how does resurrection occur, resurrection begins with the idea that there is death, right? <laughs> if there's no death, there's no resurrection. And, and all of us kind of fall one way or another into, into two camps. Um, we, we lean towards one or the other. One is the side that says, uh, that's great, but I don't think I'm dead. If I were dead, I would need to be resurrected, but I don't believe that I am dead. It's kind of like that movie, The Sixth Sense, right? Spoiler alert. <laughs> Main character is dead, <laughs> but he doesn't know that he's dead, right? And some of us, that's the way we walk through life. We, we, we're spiritually dead. We're separated from God. Our sin has separated us from God in a way that the Scripture equates to death. But we don't acknowledge it, and so we don't live as if we are in need of any kind of resurrection. That's, that's one side, right? And, and, and here's what I would say to that. The Bible talks about sin uh, in relationship to the law. And so there's things of sins of commission and there's sins of omission, right? Sins of commission are things that we do, right? And so the Bible says, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, uh, right? Don't commit adultery. And Jesus upped the bar and he said, hey, if you... If you look at someone with lust in your heart, then you've committed adultery in your heart. If you look at someone, a brother or sister with anger and shake your fist at them, that you've already committed murder in your heart. So it becomes a hard issue. And so by that level, I would argue that none of us could, could say that we're clean, right? That, that we're all in need of like, man, I can think of already this morning, right? That there's been some issues in my heart that need to be straightened out. But even if we do well on the sins of commission, then there's this other thing called sins of omission, things that we fail to do. Jesus said the greatest command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So how many of us go through every day doing the most good that we can possibly do for God's glory and for the benefit of our neighbors, right? Think about the last paycheck that you got. How much of that was used in perfection, right? 
And so if you think about that, you're thinking about the weird stuff that you bought, right? <laughs> like, did I really need that, you know, I don't even know what you guys bought, but it was weird. I know that. <laughs> right? And so even if we think that we're not doing the bad things, are we doing all the good we could possibly do? And when you honestly look at that in your life, you say, yeah, okay, I acknowledge I'm not perfect. Okay, I'm not perfect, right? So that equates to death and separation from a perfect, sinless, holy, spotless God. If you have a, for some reason, we bought white couches. I don't know why we have white couches, but we did it because we can wash them, right? But we also have three kids, right? There are very few moments in our life when those couch covers are spotless, right? The smallest little bit of whatever gets on there, right? And it's no longer, the whole thing is blemished. And, and so God is holy and, and our sin can't blemish him. But God in his perfection, he can't allow sin into his presence. And so, so our sin separates us from him. And so, so if you don't believe that you're dead, I would argue to you that um, just by your own experience and knowledge, and if you're real with yourself, you would say, okay, yeah, okay, I acknowledge. I, I have sin in my life. If there is a holy and spotless and perfect God, then, then I've done things that have separated me from him. The other side of the fence says, hey, man, Jesus, that's awesome what you did. And that's great for people that are in a position to receive it, but I'm a lost cause. I've sinned too much. You, you know what I've done. You know I have excluded myself from your grace. It's too, I can't forgive myself, and I can't believe that you will ever forgive me. Some of us come in with that approach. And when we, when we say that, we've got to look at what it says in the passage here. It says that God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. It doesn't say because we were so lovable. That little video of us on YouTube got a million likes because we were so cute and cuddly and lovable that God couldn't help but come and save us, right? That's not what it says. God loves us not because we're lovable, but because he is love. It emanates out of who he is, out of his nature, out of his character. And so if you wake up and you say, man, I just don't feel very lovable today. I can't believe that God would love me. You need to trust what this passage says, that he loves us because of the great love that resides within him. He loves us because that's who he is, right? We sang it. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. And so whether you're at a place where you can rationally accept that, you, you can look in Scripture and see that he claims that that's true. If nobody in the world loves you, if you don't love yourself, know this morning that God loves you. And that's why he sent Jesus. And so, so whether you're prone to thinking that you don't need resurrection or that you're unworthy of it, this passage brings us all together and says, hey, we're all in a position where we need it and we're ready to receive it if we're willing. Once we're in that place, it says that it's done by grace through faith. Grace, getting what we don't deserve. I'm an expert in this because I'm married, right? <laughs> and so my wife, and, I, and I'm married to a, a, a good woman who, who extends grace to me quite often when I don't deserve it. True? <laughs> She also is good at mercy, which is not giving me what I do deserve, right? So, so I've, I've got both sides good, right? But grace is what he gave us something we didn't deserve. We're not entitled to salvation. Jesus didn't have to come to the cross. He wanted to come. He did it out of love because he wanted to give us this gift of salvation. He loves us. He gives us what we don't deserve, and we obtain it through faith. Now, faith is the instrument. It's the path, it's the vehicle by which we obtain salvation, but it is not the cause of our salvation. And this passage makes that really clear. It says, by grace, through faith, not of your own doing, it's a gift, 
And it's not a result of works, and no one may boast, right? So he wants to make it really clear that you obtain it through faith, but it's not the kind of faith that you boast about. How many of you guys knew that Villanova was going to win last night? You just knew it in your heart of hearts, right? And as soon as they did, you jump on Facebook and like, I told you, I knew it, right? We become proud of our faith when we put it in, an, in, in a worthy object, right? But how many of you made bold predictions about the Eagles at the beginning in preseason last year when they were looking amazing, right? Incredible faith in an unworthy object does not yield good results. And so what's important in faith is not the amount of our faith, it's the object of our faith. (laughs) A lot of faith in a bad object equals a horrible result. A tiny little bit of faith in a worthy object equals victory. That's why Jesus said faith the the size of a mustard seed is sufficient. If you just have the faith of a size of a mustard seed, because I'm so worthy. If you put your faith in me, Jesus says, you will experience victory. My friend learned a lesson about this in college. I had had a buddy and... um, and uh, he had been pursuing this girl for a long time, and, uh, and he finally got her to go out on a date with him. And so it was like the fall of the year. It was this beautiful, picturesque, like perfect autumn day out in central PA where the leaves just get like gorgeous. You know, it's just like one of those days. You're like, yes. And uh, I went to Messiah College near Harrisburg, and there's this little town called Boiling Springs nearby there. How many of you guys know where Boiling Springs is? Yeah, wow. It's impressive. And so in the, in, the, in the town center, if you can call it that, there's like a little lake that's fed by these springs, I assume. And, uh, and, uh, but it's picturesque. It's got these like little walkways kind of around it and stuff. It's, it's a beautiful place to take. So he's like, oh, I'm going to take my date out to Boiling Springs. And so they go, all the leaves are in the trees and a bunch of fallen down. It's this beautiful thing. They're walking the crunch of the leaves. You guys know this kind of day, right? And uh, so they're walking around the lake and he's kind of, he's feeling pretty good. He's got a swagger on, you know, he's like kind of feeling cool. And so he's like walking up on this, this wall, like by the lake and he gets to the end of the wall and he's kind of like being clever and funny. And, uh, and he sees these leaves down below him. And so to be kind of cool, he kind of like jumps. He's like, yeah, thinking he was going to land on ground. But what was under those leaves was the lake. <laughs> and he submerged all the way under. <laughs> like, not up to here, completely wet, head to toe, submerged under the water, right? In that moment, he's feeling good. He's on a date with this girl. It's a beautiful day, right? Right? Tons of faith. In the wrong object, right? (laughs) And so what I would say to you this morning is that every person in here has faith. You've got a lot of faith in something. When you die, you believe something is going to happen. And I would ask you this morning, have you placed your faith in the right thing? Because you don't want to get to the end of your life and take the leap and find out that it wasn't what you thought it was. And so a big piece of our life is if there's one question you want to get right, that's the one you want to get right. And what I've found through studying Scripture and through my own life experience and through walking with different people and all different things is that that i found that the gospel has proven to be true. Through logic, through revelation, through experience, things that I can't explain, uh, through, through the lives of others that I see over and over God affirming that what he says here is true. And if I have the smallest bit of faith, if I'd gone to the lake that day and I heard about what happened to my buddy and I saw some leaves and I kind of edged, edged my way down, right? Like grab a hold of an anchor and put, put my toe down, right? I might have looked like an idiot, but I would have been safe because my, well, not if I went where he went, right? But, but if I was in a different spot where there was solid ground, 
It's not the level of faith, it's the object of faith. And so we've got to get the object of faith right. The other thing that we see here is that um, he talks about in verse 7, he says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now, we think about salvation and resurrection and we think about this future day when I die and I get to go be with the Lord, what that's going to be like. And it's going to be amazing. And what this tells us is that it's immeasurably greater than we could ever hope or imagine that, that whatever we think Jesus is about, the love we think he's going to show us, the grace that he's going to extend to us is immeasurably greater than we could ever hope or imagine. It's going to be incredible. But that's not all that it is, right? That the resurrection is going to be that, but it's also here and now. And so the mistake that we can make is we put it only in the future. We think about, okay, yeah, resurrection through Jesus when I die. But I'm 40, as I told you guys, right? So I've probably got at least another 70 years here on earth. (laughs) So I can live it up. A while back, I, I went out and bought life insurance because I'm getting old. That's the theme of today's thing, right? So, so I, I went out, I researched it. I kind of found a good policy that I thought would take care of my wife and my kids if something were to happen to me. Uh, I researched it. I found one. I, I bought the policy. And now every quarter, I make payments on that policy. And when I die, I'm trusting uh, that, that it's going to take care of them. And if I die suspiciously, check her out first, okay? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> But I derailed myself there. <laughs> Sometimes we treat our faith like that, right? We think of it as an insurance policy. Like, yeah, yeah, my grandmother really like, loved Jesus, and I know she prayed for me a lot. And, and I went one time, and I heard a pastor, and I, and I kind of like uh, nodded in agreement. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like pretty much on the Jesus train. And so, um, so I, I bought in, and you know, once a quarter I'll go in, I'll make an appearance at church, I'll drop some money in the offering plate. And so I'm making my quarterly payments, so, so I should be good when I die. Does it make any difference in my day-to-day life? No, nah, not really. Pretty much the same. You know, I check Christian in the, the census box, but other than that, my life's not really much different, right? If, if, if that's the way we're living, then we've missed out on the power of the resurrection for the here and now, for today, that it should make a difference every day in our life. You've got to ask yourself, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, if the tomb wasn't empty, would there be any tangible difference in your life? Would anything be different if that wasn't true? You've got to self-evaluate. Or would you say, nah, you know what, I think about my last week, I probably would not have done a single thing differently. And it's an indication that you might be viewing Jesus as a life insurance policy, but you're not experiencing the resurrected life that he purchased for you and he's made available to you. And you have to wrestle through, like, hey, am, am I saved? Have I been raised to life? if it's making no difference. There's another, another passage that, that helps us to picture. That's, that, that's a good description of how the resurrection takes place. Now, what does it look like every day in our life? And, and to see this, I want you to turn quickly over to Romans chapter 6. It's a path that, that unites our resurrection with Jesus' resurrection. And so let me read it to you, and then we'll explore it. <coughs> says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Same question we just looked at, right? Like, okay, if, if I've been given grace, I'm saved, I know I'm good, then I might as well just continue in sin, right? It's like when you go to the Eastern Buffet and you pay on the way in the door, like it's paid for, right? I can, I can get whatever I want. I can just keep going, right? So why not just go all out? 
What shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? No, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We know that our old self was crucified. Oh, sorry, verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Not just in the future, but here and now. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For no one, for one who has died, has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as an instrument for unrighteousness, but listen to this, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. What is he saying here? I love it. What he does is he's laying out our purpose for us. Our purpose, he says, since we've been saved, we should no longer give ourselves over to work for sin, but rather we should be instruments of righteousness. If you've been resurrected, if you've uh, become a follower of Jesus, you have a new identity. Your identity is now an instrument of righteousness. That's what you were made to do, uh, to work for righteousness in the world. But here's, here's the tricky thing, and this is so crucial. Religion says this. Religion says, I was dead. I did good works so that God would accept me, and I received salvation. But the gospel says, no, 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 that, that order's all wrong. The gospel says, I was dead, and I received salvation. And because I've been saved and resurrected, now I go and I do good works. And it makes all the difference in the world. Because over here, in the, in the religious viewpoint, I'm constantly working to try to obtain my salvation, to get God to love me. And it's easy for us, even as followers of Jesus, to return to that enslavement of sin. And so when we work under that, let me give you a couple practical examples. I just said your new identity is a, an instrument of righteousness, right? The Bible tells us that we've been adopted as children of God. Like, our identity is secure in what Jesus has done. But if we forget about that, or if we've never obtained that, then we look for our identity in a million other ways. It leads to pride, right? Oh, I, you know, I'm better than that guy, right? I'm trying to move my way up the pecking order. I don't mind stepping on people to get to the top because I'm trying to carve out an identity for myself. I'm a loving parent, right? But then what happens when my kids make bad choices? All of a sudden, my identity's been cut out from under me. Oh, no. I guess I wasn't as good a parent as I thought, right? I'm a moral person. I'm a pillar of the society. But then I, I sin, and that's stripped away from me. And what am I left with? And so when we're trying to seek our identity in order to be accepted or find it in some other way, we're constantly doubting. Either we're overproud of ourselves. We think, we, yeah, I've done it. Our chests are puffed up. We're, we're looking down on other people. We're feeling good about ourselves. Or we're constantly beating ourselves up like, man, I, I'm a failure. 
I'm no good. I'm good for nothing. But the Christian life walks this incredible uh, third path. It's not a balance between the two, but it's a totally different direction that says my identity is placed in Jesus and what he's already done, the finished work of Jesus. And so that person might not like me, but I've got to be okay with that because I know that God loves me. My identity is not tied to what they think of me, right? And so it frees us. The gospel's about freedom. What about love? If we know that God loves us because he sent his son to die for us and we, and we see the proof of that, then we know that we are loved. And so we're free to engage in, in relationships with other broken people and not expect them to be the sole source of our love. But, but if we're pursuing love outside of God, then it leads to say, man, I'm so desperate for love, I'm going to take shortcuts. I know God says do it this way, but I'm going to jump from step one to step 15 because I just got to get there. I got to get this person to love me. Or you commit to somebody and you say, man, all right, yeah, we're going to be married and now I'm going to feel fulfilled in love. But then when you find out that, that they're not able to love you perfectly and you're not able to love them perfectly, you say, oh, man, I, must have, I just must have chosen the wrong person. Let me, let me go find somebody else, right? Let me seek love somewhere else in, in lust or infidelity or, or, or some other way. But when we know that we're loved by God, when that's the center of our love, we know that we're broken and we know that the person that we love is broken. And so we extend the same grace and mercy that we've been extended. It allows us the freedom to love well without this expectation of perfection. Because even a good thing, your children, someone you love, they can become an idol if you put them in the place of God and they can't bear the weight of that expectation. I need you to love me perfectly, right? Who, who wants that pressure? No thank you, right? But how many of us, if, you, if you're a single person out here, how many of you wouldn't want to meet somebody that says, man, I'm so confident in God's love. I don't need you to be perfect. I just need you to be real, right? That's a freeing thing. You're like, yeah, that's the kind of person I want to be with. And that's the person that you want to be, right? Is anything making sense? What about purpose? Jesus gives us purpose. We're to be instruments of righteousness. We're to work for his glory and his kingdom, but... It's an assignment that he's given to us. And so when we look at this past weekend, oh, how many people came to the Good Friday service? Was it good enough? How many people came to the egg hunt? Did we, did we give enough? You know, did, did we do it? If, if we look at it that way, we're always kind of measuring ourselves up and like, oh, man, was that good enough? I, I, I kind of failed. Or, oh, yeah, man, I crushed it. I'm so proud of myself. But when we say, man, hey, I'm just being obedient to what God has called me to do, I'm going to come and do it and leave the results up to him because I'm just his instrument. <laughs> he's the one doing the work. He gets the glory. He gets the credit, and I'm just grateful to be used in whatever way he uses me, right? It's so freeing. The gospel is about freedom. What sin does to us is sin comes along. He talks about sin having dominion over us, about being enslaved to sin. And what sin says is when you screw up, cover it up. Hide it. Don't let anybody know. Don't post the wrong thing on Facebook, right? Only put the good pictures and the good lighting from your good side, right? We angled down, right? Brian was telling us side on the hand on the side, right? I can't do it like him. Only put your best foot forward because if people see who you really are, they won't accept you, right? Sin says hide it. And sin says if you screw up, don't go crawling back to God. He doesn't want you anymore. But that's a lie. God loves us. He's always, he knew every sin you were going to commit before you were born. And he went to the cross. He sent Jesus to the cross anyways. Jesus went willingly to die in your place, knowing everything you would ever do. He's not surprised by your sin. We're way more surprised by our own sin than God is. He knows how broken we are, and he loves us anyways. And so when Jesus died for us, he opened his arms wide, and he said, come to me, right? 
But when we sin, when we screw up, the devil uses that as a foothold to say, oh, you can't go back to him. He doesn't want to hear your prayers. They don't want to see you in church. They know you're a hypocrite. But we say, hey, welcome. <laughs> come, repent, be made right. God wants us to come to him. So I'll conclude with this. I'll ask you this question. How big of a shadow has the cross cast over your life? What difference does it make? If you come in today and you say, honestly, if the the tomb was empty or not empty, it really doesn't matter to me. It makes no difference. I want to encourage you that one day you will stand before God and you'll realize that what Jesus did was the most important thing that has ever been done in the history of the world. And you don't want to wait until you stand before the Father in judgment because then it's too late. And so my prayer would be that today would be the day that you recognize that what Jesus did has everlasting implications. And today is the day that you are perfectly positioned to receive that free gift of grace, of salvation, of resurrection. That your identity can be changed in a moment. If, if you're viewing it as a life insurance policy, yeah, like my, my parents were Christians, my grandparents, so I'm probably in. I think by proxy, I'm, I'm pretty good. I bought the policy. I make some payments every once in a while. I'm kind of, I'm good. I've got it as a backup plan. If that's where you're at, I really want you to wrestle. Like, have you really been resurrected? Do you know what it means to die to your sin and to come to life in Jesus? And if not, today is the day to do that. To find the identity, the love, the purpose, everything else that Jesus gives us. You're missing out on on all that he wants to give to you. And, And a good way to test yourself on this is to ask this question or finish this sentence. In your mind, finish this sentence. When I die, God will accept me because... How would you finish that sentence? When I die, God will accept me because. Now, if your answer was, I've got a good heart. I go to church. I serve uh, on a ministry team. I teach Sunday school. I preach sermons. (laughs) If any of those things are your answers, then you've missed the heart of the gospel. The gospel says this, that the answer to the question is that when I die, God will accept me Because Jesus died in my place. Jesus took my sin, and he gave me the reward that he deserved. That's the only right answer to that question. And so as a pastor of this church, I don't plan to stand on my record. My record isn't good enough, right? I have not done sufficient work to earn forgiveness from the Father. And so when I stand before the Father, uh, whatever I've done, good, bad, and indifferent, I lay it all at the cross, and I say, Father, I believe that you will accept me because Jesus promised that you would. He died in my place, and he's offered me the free gift of salvation, and I accept it, and I receive it. My eggs are all in that basket, right? I'm jumping, right? (laughs) That's it. But I know it's going to be firm firm and solid ground. If your answer to that question, what's the, how big of a shadow does the cross cast over your life? If you say, hey, it's bigger than it was last year. God's taught me some things. I thought I knew what the gospel was, but he's showing me some things about dealing with loss and, and love and, and forgiveness and identity and purpose. And he's, and he's teaching me. And so I appreciate the cross more this Easter than I did last Easter. That's a good sign that you're on the right path, that he's sanctifying your heart, that he's taking you, he's drawing you in. Remember, it starts with the faith, the grain of a mustard seed. But he doesn't want to leave you there. He wants you to grow and increase your faith. I encourage you, if you're visiting with us here today, we would love to have you come back to Riverside. Uh, 
we're going to share the gospel with you. We're going to walk through it in life together, exploring what it means to follow Jesus. And so if you don't have a church home, please come back. We want you to come here. If you're, if you're visiting from out of the country, find a, a church that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples in your, in your town and go there and get involved. Plug in. If you're here local and you're connected with a church that proclaims the gospel, go there and be an instrument of righteousness in the community where God has placed you. But we're called. We've been saved to do good works in community. And that's the call for every one of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for for drawing us here. I thank you for the resurrection, how it changes everything. And not just at some indefinite point in the future when we die, but today our lives should be radically different because of the resurrection of Jesus and, and therefore our resurrection that's been offered to us. Father, I pray that if... Uh, If there's anyone here who has not yet placed their faith in you, I pray that today would be the day of of their eternal salvation. And Father, for those who have placed their faith in you, I pray that we would be challenged to grow, to walk forward as instruments of righteousness, that we would cease to allow sin to enslave us. We've been set free from it, and so the only power that sin has over us is the power that we give to it. I pray that we would walk in the freedom that you offer through the gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name.